This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings, God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, as always, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter, at Burns23. We also have, as always, our co-host, the president, founder of the Reformed African American Network. He is a pretty big deal in the evangelical world and community. Mr. Jamar Tisby, what's going on, Jamar? Hey, man, I'm, I'm back at, I'm, I'm getting back to my roots, man. I, I happen to be recording from my childhood home back up in Waukegan, Illinois, Little Fort. So it feels awesome. good to be home for a second. Got some other meetings going on, but I cleared everything for our guest today. Yes, yeah, a big this is a big moment for you, Jamar. You've been asking to have him on the on the podcast yes. for a minute. You know yep. how I feel about him. Uh, we're talking <laughs> Listen guys, we have an illustrious guest with us. We have been prepping and preparing you guys for this episode. He is a philosopher, a cultural thinker, an academic, an activist, a skilled hip-hop artist. Um, he is an entrepreneur who started fourthdistrict.com. He also just recently started the AND campaign. You know who we're talking about. Show Baraka. Show, how are you, sir? This is where you insert the applause. <laughs> <laughs> or for some folks, the booze. I don't know. Like, boo. I don't know. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for that introduction. I feel somewhat important. I feel like. <laughs> well, he forgot to mention your most important roles, aside from being a Christian husband and father. How's the family? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I am. Uh, that's obviously a married man right there. Who's, uh... <laughs> so, uh, hey, I'm married, too. Are you okay? You guys we was gonna get to it. We was gonna get to it. We was gonna get to it, but Jamar jumped ahead. You know? Sorry, sorry, I'm nervous. No, goodness, I don't understand this. So anyway, yeah, man, thank you for the introduction. I am married. I have uh, three wonderful children. Uh, life is a uh, is is a blessing right now. The Lord is teaching me a lot of things through fatherhood and through being a husband and a leader and entrepreneur and all those things that you said. So yeah, I'm learning, man. Now let's get to the nitty gritty. I was talking to one of your friends, Rick Trotter, and he wanted to ask, he wanted me to ask you this question. Okay. And I think all of us are, are wondering this as well. Uh, during Kobe Bryant's last game, did you cry? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, so no, I didn't cry, but it was a it was it was a moment. I had a moment. I say I had a moment for it. You know, this is a reality. I, I've joked with my brother John O, Pastor John O, um, I would check over at uh, Cornerstone. He, he made a statement that, that has some truth to it, even though uh, he has some condescension in his voice and his, he's a hater, a Kobe hater. <laughs> but he made the statement that Kobe Bryant actually retired in 2012. And, uh, wow. and mm -hmm. so to, to some degree, really, that was the last time Kobe Bryant was great. And so actually, I was like, the last two years, I've kind of been like, please, Kobe, just put us out of misery, bro. Like, right. I'm hate because you're giving fuel to all the Kobe haters right now. It's like, it's like the homeboy who keeps keep getting knocked down and he wants to keep fighting. It's like, uh, like you lost this fight, bro. Stop it. <laughs> it's over. So, um, no. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't even watch the last game because it was so late, and <laughs> on the East Coast. 
It was very I woke, late. I woke up and watched that mug the next morning, though. And I saw the <laughs> buckets he gave him. I was bucket after bucket, even though he took 50 of them joints. But, hey, I didn't care. He, he went out he the did. way he should have went out. So, Kobe forever, bro. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I knew. I knew you were uh, – I remember when you did the the Kobe Bryant on him remix. Um, oh. So that was uh, a meaningful moment. Yeah, man. there you go. <laughs> Most of us have become familiar with you um, through the music, and but you've always had a much broader influence and a much broader uh, passion than just hip hop. You know, kind of tying into what you're doing with Fourth District and the And Campaign and some of the activism pieces. You know, what are some of the things that are that you're passionate about that's driving the current projects? Because we can we can Google search what you're doing, but we can't <laughs> Google search your heart and your motive. Yeah. Um, so so what's underlying all of these things that you're doing that seem to be about cultural engagement, community impact? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think it's a part of it is is is, is uh, my makeup of how I was raised, and I think part of what the, the gift of the gifting of the Holy Spirit and you know the grace that the Lord has given me as an individual as a creative and I, and I like to think of creative um, more in a sense of being a culture maker like um, not just somebody because when you say creative I think people often think of just arts right they think of painting they think of sculpting they think of creating words and music and taking media and forming it in a way that is appealing to the eye or to the ears and for me, I see that, but also see much greater. I see policy shaping. I see formulating of friendships. I see um, the connecting of people to do great missions for the kingdom of God. I see just creating cultures and structures, and I see creating uh, uh, connections for people to do great work. And so that's part of who I am. It's like, how, how can I contribute to the flourishing of, uh, of the people of God and those people who can get the residual effects of what the Lord is doing, similar to what we see in Jeremiah 27 through 29. Um, for me, that's, that's my heart, man. I just think that when we look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, I think what we see is God creating people who reflect him, which means we are in ourselves somewhat creators and we create cultures. John Frame has a wonderful quote he says that christian or he says that human beings you know what he has a dope quote so anyway <laughs> but, <laughs> it's, it's 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 basically talking about how god uh, he creates he's made creation but human beings create cultures and so mm-hmm. i just see myself as a culture maker and uh, as you said um someone who's passionate about these things and i feel like that's my calling um i think that's what you asked pretty much yeah absolutely so tell me What's the motivation and the mission behind Fourth District and the And Campaign? Because I'll tell you from my perspective, both of them have really assisted me in critically questioning some of the presuppositions I hold, uh-huh. um, particularly some of the Fourth District podcasts have been very helpful in that regard. So when you started Fourth District kind of as a place to for cultural uh, curators, yeah. as you guys like to say, what's the what's the motive behind that? How does that connect with the end campaign? You know, what are you intending to? Who are you intending to reach um, with those yeah. ventures? I think the one thing. So, to digress a little bit on all of the things I just said about myself, I think there's also huh, there's the warning and the concern that I would say to people like myself who like to engage in things is that we can also have a problem with doing too much sometimes. <laughs> and uh, 
I, th- I know that's somewhat of the knock on me. Some people are like, what, man, show's always doing something. He's always starting, you know. And I think that's a good thing. And also, you know, to some degree, it can be bad, it, depending, especially when you talk about marketing and branding and all that stuff, you know, because people never really know what you're doing, right? But to say all that, I think um, one of the things that I'm passionate about is when I see problems, right? When I see the city or when I see media, when I see issues, I, I, I got a term from a friend. They said they, they call themselves a solutionary. Uh, and I like that's mm, kind of I was like I'm good. feeling that for the rest of my life I'm calling myself a solutionary, um, and so for me when I see problems I don't want to just complain about them and I don't want to just say, hey you know, let's sit around and just complain about how you know racism or how uh, sexism agent you know whatever let's try to find solutions in the best way that we we you know the Lord mm-hmm. has shaped us so for Fourth District. Um, and it goes back even further to, you know, my involvement with Reach Records, um, uh, to my involvement with church plants in the particular cities that I've lived in and the churches that I've been a part of, to me uh, starting High Society, to me doing the Lions mm-hmm. and Liars podcast, to me yes. just doing different things. And then, and, 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 you know, and then to what you've just mentioned, 4th District was the, uh, the culmination and the, 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 the conception of 4th District was um, some guys approached me about starting a Christian hip hop site. And I was like, bros, y'all gotta think much bigger than Christian hip hop. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not helping you. I'm not helping you if you wanna start a Christian hip hop site. You know, there are there are already sites that, that do it and do it pretty well, even if you don't like them. Um, they're, they're doing a good job of covering, um, you know, what happens in Christian hip hop. I think what we need is something that deals with the greater scope of culture in general from not just a Christian perspective, which let's try to let's try to address it from an urban, and I know that word is, the word is somewhat fluid and elusive, but as best as we can mm-hmm. define it, let's address this culture from an urban Christian perspective. And so, as you said, we consider ourselves to be curators and thinkers of culture and uh, and art. And so, the goal was to take every facet of culture that we can think of, in which we feel like we're subject matter experts, from music to fashion to um, uh, 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 film, to visual arts, whatever, sports. And let's have people who love these things, but you know, operate somewhat from a different worldview, right? Let's have them communicate, write, and talk, and articulate their perspective to people who often have to like, sift through the week to find their their cultural relevance within the conversation, right? Like, there are a lot of people having conversations about culture, but there are not a lot of people who are who are having conversations about culture in a context that we feel like we don't have to chew and spit the bones out too right. often, right? And so that's what I wanted to try to do is create a, a, a platform for people like me. Now, I don't want to make black people a monolith or urban people a monolith. I understand that we are many types of different shades, philosophies, and all that. But I feel like there's enough people who think within the paradigm in which I th- and I and in which I process and other folks who I who wanted to come alongside me that I think we can reach a decent mass amount of people and keep this thing sufficient and and productive to to move and 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 grow. Now I think this is this is for many Christians a very novel approach. I think you can definitely make the argument that. It's a historical and a biblical approach, your your method of engaging the culture, if you will. I'm curious about sort of what's behind that and 
perhaps the process and the and the and the uh, the journey that brought you here, and maybe starting with problems you saw in broader evangelicalism, however you want to define that word, and the way Christians Absolutely. that you saw were were engaging the culture that made that made you say, hmm, maybe there's another way to do this. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'll try to keep it brief. There's, <laughs> I can talk forever. But <laughs> I grew up uh, just, and I don't, I don't like to make it seem like my mom was like this, like Angela Davis, but she used to participate in a lot of Panther activities. Um, and so ju just imagine growing up in a household where your mother and your father, you know, was excited about their blackness. Right? Um, and so I kind of grew up in this household, though we did go to church, like Christianity was not the 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 metric that pushed and determined how we lived it was much it was a, a bunch of different other things every every individual child had their idol growing up right and so um i grew up with this kind of like this con this conflict this conflict in identity and who i was from you know age you know i guess early age till about 19 when i became a christian and uh, when i became a christian i still didn't understand like how do i reconcile like all this stuff that I feel about my skin, my hair, uh, the communities that I live in, the things that I've seen, the racism I've experienced, the, the hatred that I've portrayed to other people, the prejudices that I have. Like, how do I reconcile all of this? And usually the answer was just kind of like homogeny. It was just like, well, you go to this, this predominantly white church, depending on if that was the circle you were, and you just kind of let just the, the, mainstream evangelicalism just wash over you and then you became a some you become assimilated into a culture and I did that for many years I went to a a, a, a great bible teaching presbyterian church and uh, and then a bible church after that you know great intentions from the pulpit great intentions from the hearts of individuals but the orthopraxy I think was somewhat flawed not because they intentionally wanted to mislead people I just think they they saw the theology um, that they practiced through a, a particular lens and didn't feel like there was a, there was any interpretation outside of that. Right? There was no there were no emphasis on other things other than things that they thought were important in the scripture. And so for me, it was just this tension of, wow, man, like, how do I begin to reconcile this? And honestly, man, it just took a lot of reading. It took some reading of non-Christian stuff. It took some reading of some some Christian stuff that some people may call heresy. It took some, uh, it took some reading of historical stuff. And it took some reading of, 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 of my white brothers who uh, have kind of like held the banner of, of evangelicalism for the last couple of centuries. So, and in approaching that, I realized that there was a beautiful thing that the gospel communicates. And it's like one, and I'm glad that this teaching is starting to catch a lot of trend and fire in, in today's narrative is that we have to start with the image of God. Like when we talk about, when mm, we talk yeah. about the gospel, so often we always started with sin. We always started with people are fallen, people are broken. Do you, you know you're a sinner, right? Have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you cheated? You know what I'm saying? And in my communities and, you know, and people that, you know, grew up in some, some broken areas, you didn't have to remind us that we were thieves and we were broken. Like, well, all we had to do is just look in our household and recognize, oh man, yep, you know, there's, People smoking crack or there's violence, there's this. The problem is, is that the suburban communities know how to hide their sin a lot better. Uh, they they, they wow. have this spiritual makeup. But in our communities, they're broken. So in the suburbs, you need to convince people that they're, they're sinful, right? Because they don't, they, 
their lifestyle kind of communicates and perpetuates this idea that they don't need help. But in the hood, I realized that we were using a method that, that wasn't helpful, wasn't beneficial. So let's start with the image of God and then work from, yo, you were created for something more glorious than what we see here. But something went wrong, right? Something went wrong. There's the fall. Things have been corrupted. We manipulate. We uh, pervert. But redemption in Jesus. And he makes all things new. But it doesn't stop there. Like our responsibility as Christians are, you know, is to try to redeem and restore the beauty of, of, of the image of God into all things. And so that's not just the relationship with us and God. That's a relationship with us and one another. And thirdly, you know, it's the relationship with us in the land and us in the context of being cultivators and creators, right? And so, and all of that, that's what's pushed me towards engaging culture. It's like, it's not an option for me anymore. It's, uh, you know, it's easy to create utopian societies. It's easy to create, you know, these ghetto silos where we can celebrate our own oneness, I guess you can say. But Hmm. I think there's a beauty in the scriptures that you see in Acts and you see in other contexts. It's not just that we create our silos and our and our and our, our fellowships what we definitely have to do is we it's very important that we have community context where people are mutually growing with one another and edifying one another but the 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 call is to make disciples and different philosophies um, I mean have people have different philosophies and how you make disciples and so I consider this a process of disciple making and me engaging the culture yeah. making music writing um, creating, uh, helping to create policies, engaging in politics. These are things that I feel are evangelical um, and as well as disciple-making. So that is the, the long answer and why I feel it's important because uh, I struggled with identity and because I found that answer in the Gospels, I feel like other people um, can find a similar freedom that I had in reconciling why I'm created in a particular way to how Jesus has died for our sins and redeemed us to a, a wonderful God. This is so important. You talk about and you embody this, I don't know, this this tightrope of appreciating your heritage and who you are, but yeah. not elevating it into Afrocentrism. But you've been doing this in music form for years, you know, and almost, you know, when we go back to Talented Tenth, it's almost a, a, a semi-prophetic view of the systemic corruption and and some of the issues that um, we would face in terms of affirming dignity and the Imago Day way before hashtags became popular, way before many of these incidents became became yeah. huge. So, yeah. so from your perspective, though, how are you navigating this without buying into the lie and the deception of Afrocentrism or ethnocentrism to where we are superior? But what I would say is, I don't have a problem with ethnocentricity. Like, I don't have a problem with somebody loving who they are. Um, now, I know this, there's a problem with the, 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 the defining of that, like, in a sense, it's like, it's the center of all things. Like, yeah, that's problematic. It's not the center of all things for me, because Jesus is the center. But within the center of Jesus, I recognize he has created me who I, as, as you know, a Michelle Baraka, right? So I don't have a problem with people owning who they are and being very proud of who, who they are. I don't have a problem with the, the white Southerner doing that. I don't have a problem with the Korean brother doing that who, you know, I don't have a brother with the brother from Harlem doing that. Now, as you said, the problem is supremacy. 
Mm-hmm. And what I've seen is how a lot of folks are trying to deal with white supremacy is by preaching a black supremacy. Uh, and that's scary to me. That's very dangerous. Um, and I was that at one point in time. Like, don't get it twisted. I was <laughs> my first couple years of college and like high school, last years of high school, I was, I hated white folks. I was, I was on my, like, I used to read everything that I could. I remember going around preaching Jacob's theory uh, about how white people were created in the, in the, um, by the black gym, germ and, uh, and the Caucasoid mountains. And so, um, wow. yeah, I mean, this was, this was something that I believed and then the gospel reformed that. Um, so what I think I'm trying to do is balance this, uh, like you said, like our walk this tightrope of how do we as individuals, like very similar to what Paul did. Paul was the proudest Jew of them all. And he was like, look, mm-hmm. I'm a Jew, dog. Like, I'm, this is what I do, circumcised, a Pharisee, a Pharisee. It's like, look, I'm, I'm black. I love my nappy hair. I love the fact that my melanin keeps me protected from the sun. I love the way we turn everything into a celebration. We can't even laugh without, like, turning it into a spectacle. Like, I love that about black people. Right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. I love us, right? But it's not the ultimate thing. Uh, I recognize the ultimate thing is, is Jesus. And I am willing to ask, it, it's, it's also his, his, his supremacy is so pertinent in my life that I'm willing to even deny myself in times so that I can bring other people into my experience to show them hmm. how wonderful of a life I have and also for them to reciprocate that to me, right? To love them and say, but, without the, but this is the problem without losing who I am. And dare I say, Christianity in itself has been a one-way exchange. It hasn't been, let us learn mm-hmm. about the indigenous or let us learn about the minority uh, within the country. But it's, it's let us give you, let us, uh, and it was even dangerous because there's a lot of African, uh, African-Americans. When we talk about the whole pans, um, um, Pan-Africanism was started by Christians, right. black Christians, right? right? And so they got warped into this perspective of let's go civilize the savages in, in, in Africa. Um, with Crumble and Du Bois believed this for a long time and then eventually he denounced it. But like, so this is the tension that we've kind of grown into. And so what I'm trying to do is, is, is just uh, let's live in this, this, this lovely exchange of totally believing and accepting and, and loving myself for who I am and that means reading more of the people that I think uh, deserve to be read, celebrating those people, uh, talking about those people, um, trying to figure out what is black culture, because that's very elusive in itself, but not right. denying our white brothers, or our, our Anglo brothers, our Korean, our Latino, our Hispanic brothers and sisters, uh, the right to do the same for themselves, and as well, let's exchange uh, our beautiful cultures with one another in the gospel. Beautiful book by... Um, I, I didn't finish it all, so I don't know if he said something really crazy at the end, but Richard Twist, <laughs> <laughs> One Tribe, Many Nations, uh, One Church, Many Tribes, uh, was a book that, that mm. talks about this in, 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 in pretty good detail. Yeah, man, it sounds awesome, and everything you're saying sounds good and but, attractive. I'm just wondering, you know, what kind of flack have you caught? What kind of pushback have you uh, had for this approach to culture and uh, disciple making, and what you know, how have you responded? All of it. All of them. Think of <laughs> everything. Show has had no pushback. No pushback whatsoever. <laughs> I don't even know what that term means. So I'm like, what? It's been easy selling. Um, 
Brother, I look, I, I, I don't know where to start to tell you the truth. I think I've lost it. I had a lot of, when I remember making Talent of Tenth, I had a lot of people tell me that this was like almost career suicide. Um, I had people uh, tell me that the album was for black people. <laughs> As if that's some sort of pejorative in a sense, right? But um, also I've had people say that they weren't gonna come. Like, so if I, I performed at a seminary one time and people contacted the president of the seminary and said they weren't gonna come to the show because I had, I made a song Talent Tenth. I mean, I made the song Jim Crow. Um, I've had it all, brother. I've had people, but the beautiful thing, but this is the beauty. So I've had it, I'll say, I've, I had it all. And we remember, I wrote this album. Most of the album was written in 2012, right? Wow. So this is, a lot of this is before, uh, it's definitely before Mike Brown's, before Trayvon Martin. Before Trayvon, yeah. Um, it was all, it was, I think Oscar Grant was like becoming more popular because of the, the YouTube video and the know that they were making a movie about his life. Um, so a lot of this stuff wasn't like, as, as, as Tyler said, it wasn't really on the radar. And, uh, and so people were just like, and I mean, even artists, like artists were like, bro, don't do it. <laughs> like you're crazy. And I was just like, man, I don't, at this point I'm done. Like, I don't care. And I, I will say the one thing I wish I would change is my posture felt like I wasn't, um, hmm. I did, I, I made a lot of the album in anger. I made a lot of the album in angst. And I would say that you learn and I, and I wish I would have done that differently. Um, but I don't regret anything that I wrote and communicated. Uh, I do regret how I defended the album in some of the early months when it, when it was released. But I will say, apart from all that, which what's beautiful is uh, like the responses that I've had like two years or a year or three years after the album release, random people just emailing me or hitting me on Twitter or Facebook. Just, man, if I can show you some of the, the on my fan page, some of the uh, inbox messages I get on Facebook, it's like, bro, I apologize. I judged you harshly over Talent of Tenth, but man, like it's so prophetic or it's this, it's that. Like, oh, I wish I would have, I hate that I slammed you. I hate that I said this. And it's just like that that brings that brings just man tremendous tremendous joy to my heart. And the the one thing that I've learned in this whole process is that like and I hate to I, don't, I hate to call myself a prophet cuz I'm I don't necessarily want like, but the one thing I have to learn is that you know there's no reward for being to want mm-hmm. to be rewarded in a sense is a is cheap from God. Like God is using you to, to communicate something that is so far outside of yourself, you shouldn't get praise for it, right? Because it's, it's not your message, it's not your voice. And so I've learned to not be bitter. I've learned to not like expect praise. I've learned like in the creation of art, like people are gonna criticize and critique it and, and rightly so because if this is an exchange of market, then yo, I don't like it. Or if they listen to something and they're like, yo, I have, I'm putting this out here for public discourse. And if they feel like this is damaging the 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 public square then they have a right to communicate that i have a right to defend it uh and i i think now more people are wise are in a place more mature in a place to to now defend the album um because mm-hmm. i think even some of my brother rockwood some of them were like yo i don't know how to defend this because i just don't know what to do with some of these songs and some of these things you're saying. And I, I you know, so yeah, I, I've matured a lot to say the least. Man, so let, let's do this because you talked about how you're a dreamer. You talked about how you kind of see things, see problems, solutionary, and you just want to get in and create solutions. So 
let's talk about it over the next two, three, four years. Let's mobilize and motivate some people um, to start some things or to see some problems. What do you see as major issues that are not on our radar right now or should be more on our radar that need to be addressed, talked about, and maybe some organizations need to be started to assist the African-American community and reconciliation between God's people? There's two things that I think are very important. I'll spend brief, uh, a brief, uh, and I'm not saying this is, obviously this is not exhaustive. These are the things that I have been burdened with. Two things. And uh, the first thing is, is something I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about, but I'm just praying that the Lord just gives me the desire to just spend way more time on it because right now I'm not given enough time on it. And that's an apologetic for African-Americans. Um, there's too many of us who are, are huh, concerned with an apologetic for white suburban evangelicals. So hmm. I like to share this example of when Rob Bell wrote the book, uh, Love Wins, you know, the blogosphere from, you know, together to the gospel to whoever, Kevin DeYoung, Francis Schaefer, I mean, Francis Chan, Francis Chan, to uh, whoever wrote responses, right? And amazing articulate responses. And, you know, African-Americans like ourselves, we're engaged in those conversations. But if we, depending on where you live, obviously, and, and the community that I live in and that I lived in at the time, if I go outside, I can poll a thousand people in my community. Ain't near one of them care about Rob Bell. Ain't none of them heard of Rob Bell. Mm-hmm. And ain't none of them dealing with the idea that love wins right now. But what they are dealing with is Hebrew Israelites. They're dealing with uh, this idea of Egyptology, uh, comedic science. They're dealing with the Nation of Islam. They're dealing with a lot of things that we aren't giving attention to. They're dealing with the idea that, oh, Christianity stole all of its beliefs and tenets from Mesopotamia, uh, Marduk, and um, and uh, Egypt. Osiris is, just, you know, Jesus stole Osiris and all this other stuff. And so, and these jokers are slick talkers, bro. These they are, they are talkers and they are charismatic and they get you and they and they feed to the the pain of white supremacy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what gets these brothers. That's what gets our brothers and sisters in our community. And then on top of the fact that churches aren't really engaged in the community, that's something that I feel like if we don't do something as a, mm-hmm. as African Americans in the next three or four years, what we're going to see is we're all we already know we're at a post Christian society. We already know that. Right. A lot of people don't feel the need to go to church. And it's it's crazy how how that's growing in the African-American context, right? Like we always have considered ourselves as a spiritual people as far as I've, you know, in my short life living. But sure. I think it's now what we're seeing is like there's this there's this relativism that's sweeping in. And a lot of that is what I think is important to the next issue and cause is because of the liberal agenda and the narratives that are being created um, uh, within media and politics and policies that are being started. And so the answer to that has been uh, the AND campaign. Uh, myself and my brother Justin Giboney, who is a lawyer here in Atlanta, got together through, uh, through our brother. Uh, we met through uh, Pastor John O. at Cornerstone. And he was just a dude who was just like, man, like, I need to find some other Christian lawyers or politicians who want to stand up for the gospel and not just placate to the democratic party. Right. Because that's what black folks, black people are supposed to do. Like we just vote democratic. Right. right? Yeah. I don't care what they say. Like, oh, we're going to justify it somehow. Cause we ain't voting for the Republicans. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. 
So in a sense, it's like, ah, what do we do? Um, and rightfully so in a lot of ways because the Republicans have, have done a, a heinous job at managing their relationships with minorities and some of the policies they've created. So both parties have done a disservice in, 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 you know, to, uh, to uh, minorities, I guess you could say, or urban context. And so um, urban Christian context to be very specific. And so what the AND campaign is, is what we're trying to do is change the narrative, man, like create a new narrative, push back evil from a perspective, from a biblical perspective and how we address policies, how we express and address social issues, social justice. We don't want, I don't believe that we should allow everything that is dealing with justice to be ran and, and, and controlled by academics and, and liberals and, uh, and people who are so distant from the church. It's so like, we we know that most of almost every great revolution that's happened, not only just in America, but almost in time, has been started by somebody of faith right. because they had a proper understanding that of what justice was, and they had a proper understanding of what uh, of how God said to care for the marginalized and the oppressed and the people who were disenfranchised. And so, for us, I think we've gotten so comfortable in this feast of being uh, mega churches that. W- that we don't know to know what to do in the famine, and I think the Ant campaign is wow. is is an organization, and I, I I would love to see engage the public square with compassion and conviction, um, because we see that the liberals have great compassion, and they care, they appear that they care, <laughs> they do, they say all the right things to show as if they care for minorities especially, the those who we may align ourselves with spiritually on the right share some of our convictions, but they lack compassion. And so what the AND campaign is, is an organization that believes that we transcend party. When we're, we're de-emphasizing party, we have people who are a part of our, our, our campaign who are both Democrat, Republican, Libertarian. It's not whether or not you have to vote Republican or Democratic, but it's about how do our Christian values inform our political ideologies. Wow. So Tyler, can we can we go ahead and ask him about the current presidential campaign? <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, go ahead. I'm I'm eager to hear his thoughts. Up the well, he announced he announced today. See, he announced today that he's running as third party candidate, right? Oh, I'm going for it, baby. I'm going for it. Write me in, cuz. Write me in. <laughs> Bow ties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so you're talking about how our faith informs our political stances, and here we are faced with a presumptive nominee in Donald Trump for the Republican Party and Hillary Rodham Clinton, who a lot of people have lots of issues on, particularly Christians. Um, so, I mean, how are you parsing this current political climate, especially in terms of the presidential race? Yeah, it's hard. I think it's hard for even if it was Obama, Romney, Bush, Gore, like I don't think you can ever. I don't think the Christian is ever. And if you, if there is an individual who's at their line, yeah. that you walk into a a, a a general election and say, I know all of my convictions line up with this individual. Like, and my brother Justin Gibney has a statement. He says that if you don't vote your values, somebody else will vote them for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so. Uh, and a lot of times what we do is we create the salient issues. We say, okay, how do we feel about abortion? How do we feel about, uh, you know, uh, family values? And sometimes we'll have some economic issues in there. Like, how do we feel about government spending? Maybe, right? I don't know. Dependent. Um, and then we'll say, well, if 
the candidate lines up with me on those three, then I'm, I'm, that's who I'm rocking with. Well, at the same time, these individuals, you know, they don't care about uh, real, real important social reforms. They don't care about how they're, they're unjustly imprisoning folks in particular communities. Um, once they give these individuals uh, life past the womb, they just kind of, they're done with them. So it's not life from the cradle to the grave. It's just life from the cradle and we're done with you. So as a Christian, I feel like you, you, you don't walk into any election saying, oh, that's the sure shot vote right there. There's always going to be compromise if you're going to engage. In, and I think that's just that's just the thing we have to wrestle with as Christians being in this already but not yet kind of like mind frame. It's just like we just we got to recognize that there's going to be some things that we're going to have to be like, ah, man, Lord, figure out how to reconcile this to you. So all that to say, I'm not voting for any one of those jokers. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll potentially I'll potentially vote for a third party candidate or write somebody in, right? But what I will do, hold one second. Hold up. My son is my son just broke it in. We love it. We love it. Riley Curry. It's a guy. Go outside. Here. Hold on one second. Nah, you good. You good. Love you it. Love it. Now, I think he's really bringing up some great points, Jamar. I think, in particular, the kind of this this idea that um, from a political standpoint, you know, there's no perfect, and I think we talked about that, right? There's no right. perfect option. There's but, not there's not one candidate that fits us. But at the same time, you know, there are decisions to be made, right? Yeah, there are compromises. I'm wondering about this whole third party thing because. As he mentioned, I mean, you can go back the last four or five elections just not to be overwhelmed and know there aren't any ideal candidates. So is it in every election that we're voting third party? Or I'm guessing there are just probably fewer compromises that we have to make <laughs> when the choices right. aren't the ones that we have right now. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So, Cheryl, we were just talking about, well, I was just bringing up, like, you know, voting third party, as you say, you know, you can go back as far as you want, and there's never been an ideal candidate right. for the Christian where you didn't have to compromise on some very important things. And so is that third-party option or write-in option always the choice, or in no, the no. particular election, is that salient? Yeah, I, I, I understand. I, I, and I, I think there can be exceptions. I mean, if this, is a, if this is a thing. Like, I, I will never, ever, excuse me. I will never. Well, I, I would judge a Christian off who they vote for. <laughs> oh, no. um, Keep it real. There are some folks, like for instance, uh, let's just let's just say uh, I'll, I'll make it a very easy um, example. Like, all right, so you talk about Abraham Lincoln running for presidency, and he's he's guaranteeing that he's going to abolish slavery, right? And his, uh, I think it was Jefferson he was running against. I can't remember. Um, so you have his opponent who's like, nah, I think we're good. I think slavery's a good thing. It's so um, even if or even if Abe Lincoln had a couple of other issues that he was like, yo, I'm not gonna rock with you on this because, and we felt like I can understand how a person can say, you know what, even though two of these pretty major issues I don't agree with, I think this abolishment of slavery is so huge for me that I can't not vote against this conviction. 
And so for me, what I would do is I'd be like, look, I get that. I understand. And, uh, I, I don't, and I don't judge that individual for that. And I think there are some people today who feel that way about like abortion. They're like, I am so adamant about abortion that I cannot vote against or I cannot vote for a candidate who, uh, who is a proponent of abortion in any shape, form, or fashion. And my thing is like, okay, I, I, look, I get that. Um, but I, I think what the AND campaign is doing is, is what we're, we're communicating is, is trying to inform people about policies and ideas and not aligning ourselves necessarily with any one candidate, but creating a greater scope of saying, like, the, here, here's what we think are important value issues, platforms that we deal with. And if anything, let's also emphasize the importance of, 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 of who's going to represent you in your districts as congressmen and women. Huge. Who's going to be your senators, who's going to be your governors, who's going to be your judges, who's going to be your mayors. Um, and so uh, these are things that I think that are, are quite important. Even if you don't vote for a Trump or a Hillary or a third candidate, or Bernie Sanders, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, brother got a chance. But make sure you vote some for 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 somebody on uh, on the federal and state levels because those individuals determine a lot about your life. So, for instance, uh, me and you know Dylan, I have I have kids on the autism spectrum, and I think it's important for me within the state of Georgia to 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 put people in office who care about providing subsidies or opportunities for families with special needs because it is hard raising children with special needs. If you are a candidate who doesn't care about that, and this is the thing about local level politics, parties are not, they're not really emphasized as much. It's not as important because you don't have to worry about the abortion stuff. You don't have to worry about, you know, gay marriage because that's stuff is usually, you know, well, it's something you do, but Usually it's smaller stuff like, oh, are we going to defund this particular community or uh, this school district? Are we going to have this these charter schools take over these schools? Um, um, are we going to create these particular laws and um, penalize people for doing this? And if you are a person who's like, you know, these things matter to me. I need to know what each judge or each candidate believes, then that's the person I'm putting in office. And I think to some degree, some degree we use that on a larger scale. So all that to say that I said nothing, I don't know, but... Well, hopefully it made sense. <laughs> no, that's that's really helpful just from a standpoint of voting for, for people. I was just having a conversation with a lady uh, locally who's kind of plugged in, just asking about, you know, how important it is for the sheriff's race down here where Absolutely. I live, you know, which is massive, you know, sets policy for how we're perceived and how people in urban communities Absolutely. are perceived. You know, Absolutely. It's just, that's something that, that matters, you know. If you had a, if you had a, a, a uh, if, Ferguson and the county that Ferguson was in, in Missouri, had a different demographic within, like the city was 60% African-American, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. Yeah. But it was like less than three people within the city council and the county who worked there that was African-American. That is a disparaging, <laughs> that's, that's a problem. That's, that's problematic, right? And so if right. I believe if you had a more diverse or a city that... Uh, a govern a city government that represented more of the people, then you may not even have a Mike Brown issue like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I think I think. Um, but this is the thing. Like we don't. Uh, I hate to say this as a, this sweep, sweeping statement, but oftentimes African Americans have a problem with caring about local government. Um, uh, huge. Yes. Absolutely. And, 
And so what we have to do is begin to inform people on the importance of it. Um, I think Baltimore, and I used this example in another interview, I think Baltimore is a, is, a, is, a, is a perfect case of how just voting for people off of historical connection fails you. Like Baltimore has been a city in peril for decades, um, and it's always had a Democratic mayor. And right. that Democratic, those Democratic mayors have never really concerned themselves about the, the marginalized people in that city, right? But for some reason, you ain't going to get black people to think outside of voting for a Democratic uh, uh, mayor. So at some point, we have to say, all right, well, if the Democratic Party just knows they're going to get our vote, we got to change something, right? It's like, I'm not going to help. If I know I'm going to get your service no matter what I do, why do I need to serve you? Like, why do I need to do anything right. for you? Hmm. And so we have to begin to change that narrative. And I think that's part of what my brother Justin is doing in, in true application as, as he ran as a delegate um, here in the 5th District of Atlanta. And he won that delegate seat to go to Philadelphia and determine who the, the Democratic uh, president will be. Is that he, he, communicated, wow. he communicated to the whole 5th District, to the senator, and to other people running, it's like, look, you 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 guys will no longer just ignore the faith-based voice. Mm. We have a we have a large contingency of people who will not be bullied into believing or doing and saying what you guys want us to say just because you can throw some money at an organization and get them to throw a rainbow flag up there and say, oh yeah, all things as well because you were you were tanking, right? He said, no, there's some people who have conviction, though this we're compassionate and we'll and we'll sit and reason. We're not going to just roll over and say, you know what, our faith doesn't matter, our values don't matter. So, man, man that's, that's so good. good. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah, and, and and I know you 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 guys both. Just have to be to clear, get going. Just to be I clear. wish we could just continue. One second. Go just ahead. To be clear. <laughs> My boy Justin didn't say anything about a rainbow flag. That was me. That was that was <laughs> I was. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know. Like Put your boy out there. This is going. Yeah. This is going viral, man. Come right, on, right. it's going viral. <laughs> so anyway, well, and, and I know you. You have to get ready to to go, and we just thank you so much just for for spending some time with us, and we're definitely going to have you back. But the last question I want to ask you is: It sounds like you need to not just be doing albums, <laughs> but also <laughs> writing books and. Yeah, you man. Know, for, you know, presenting volumes of material and a, when when is the book coming out? You know, we Bro, I do want to hear about when the album is coming whatever. out because I've heard tell about the album, but but when is the book coming out? I mean, I just want to read your thoughts and, and hear more yeah. of that. That's humbling. That's uh, flattering. I'm so insecure when it comes to like, you know, it's funny how the one person who who's giving me hope is weird is Ta-Nehisi Coates because he uh, he didn't right. have a a master's degree. He didn't. He didn't graduate. He didn't have a doctorate. And when you listen to that brother speak, he's well informed. He's educated. He's, he's intelligent. Very much so. Uh, yeah. And so, for me, I've always had this insecurity of feeling like I had to chase a doctorate, and I had to have all of these these number of degrees behind me in order for somebody to hear what I had to say about a particular issue. And so, man, I'm I'm wrestling with those insecurities. The other thing is that the the people that I love to read are just so intelligent. Like. My God, and I'm like, I'll never achieve that level of, of articulation, and so I just kind of just stop. I'm just like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know, man. That's it's funny how 
it's funny how um, I've been approached to do some stuff on that level, and uh, people have asked me similar questions. And I honestly, I think that's something that I really have to get the Lord to deal with me. And it's like, um, even if it's not, even if I don't impress the the highest of academia, there are some people who would appreciate what I have to say. And uh, so I, 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 I'm I'm yes, I'm sir. working through it. I'm working through it. So. I'll tell you what, you can really just dip your toe in the water. By writing blog posts, I know this website. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. I knew it was coming. I know this website. We <laughs> kind of test some of those ideas, um, get feedback, encourage some folks, and maybe this uh, thing rolls into something else. The only problem is, is I'm not reformed enough for you guys. I'm not. Ah. <laughs> uh, see. I don't, I don't know. I, I believe in. A, I think I, I. I. I don't believe enough in what you guys believed. <laughs> <laughs> To qualify, you so. believe Jesus is the Savior. We'll we'll take it from there. I do, I do. <laughs> I believe in I believe in Millie Rockin' too. So I don't... I'll tell you what, <laughs> you got an open open invitation, uh, <laughs> open invitation to uh, contribute to be on the show. And you know, ran and passed the mic. We definitely want to keep up with what you're doing at Fourth District and the AND campaign. I see a lot of intersection and a lot of overlap. Certainly, where my mind is is definitely tracking with you on, on everything you just said. So, uh, man, we're just thrilled, praying that the Lord blesses your work. Consider us partners in the ministries, in the ministry allies, however we can be. Yes. Man, thank you all for what you all do. I mean, y'all, man, like there's a lot of people who uh, I'm friends with um, in real life and on Facebook <laughs> who, uh, who share your content and who, who's blessed by what you guys are doing. So, man, God bless it. And Appreciate plus, it. the Ellis's speak highly of you all, so I Boom. rock with everybody that Ellis's rock with. We love That's the Ellis's. We love the Ellis's. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, appreciate awesome. well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you, show. I yep. want you guys to like uh, the podcast, share it, rate, review it on iTunes and the Satchel app. Uh, keep tuned into us at Red Network on Twitter, at underscore Pastor Mike on, on Twitter as well. Um, and you can follow us. Show, where can they follow you? Uh, you can follow me to the grocery store. I gotta go buy some groceries right now. <laughs> you can borrow a couple of dollars. You know what I'm saying? But uh, <laughs> on Twitter, you can holler at me at uh, Amisho Baracas, A M I S H O B A R A K A. Same on uh, Facebook, I think. I'm not sure, but Show Baraka fan page on Facebook and um, and campaign is A N D campaign. Um, uh, that's yeah, man. That's right now. I mean, I got some good news coming in June, uh, early June. And uh, y'all just stay posted, bro. We will. We will. Thank you so much for your time, show. We appreciate everyone tuning in. We'll see you guys soon on the next Pass the Mic. God bless you. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.